0: Do you know somebody who homeschools or maybe they're thinking about it perhaps it's you it's that time of year where parents are considering what their options are and it's been in the news all over about the expansive growth of homeschooling in the united states and to be honest across the globe i've got a guest on the program today his name is jim mason he is the president of hslda which stands for the homeschool Legal Defense Association. HSLDA was originally founded 40 years ago by Michael Ferris and by Mike Smith. And they saw that back in the day, 40 years ago, people that homeschooled were really kind of a fringe group. Well, a lot has changed in 40 years. Our culture, our education system. Why are parents pulling their kids out of school? Why are they homeschooling them? So that's going to be Our focus with my guest, Jim Mason. Hi, friends. My guest today is Jim Mason. He is the president of HSLDA, and I'll explain a little bit more and allow him to talk about his role in this amazing organization that's been in existence for 40 years. We're going to talk about homeschooling, the growth of homeschooling, the mindset of homeschoolers, the future of homeschooling, and we're just going to have an open, frank conversation about Uh, Something that we both are really passionate about, as you know, you've listened to the show for several years now, you know that we homeschooled our children. So for those of you that are wondering if it's possible, it is. We've talked about this before, but we're not going to just take my word for it. I want you to hear from a friend of mine. He held the National Leaders Conference, and the HSLDA was instrumental and is instrumental in bringing leaders from across the country and the globe together to help empower and equip leaders so that they can go back to their states and help folks like you that are seeking to homeschool. So Jim, thank you for coming on the program and I'm delighted to speak with you today.
1: Well, Connie, it's my pleasure to be with you and your listeners today.
0: Tell us a little bit about your family. Like who is Jim Mason and your family? Tell us whatever you wanna tell us about your story prior to becoming in the role that you are currently in.
1: Well, I am married to Debbie. Who you've met. We have seven children. All seven are grown. Our youngest is in her second year of college at Grove City College. Our oldest has four children, and we have another son who has two children, so we have six grandchildren. We homeschooled all seven of our children right straight through, with a couple of exceptions during their uh, high school years. Most of our kids do enrolled in. Community College. So our daughter, who's at Grove City College, actually got a full year's worth of credits transferred from her high school experience to Grove City. We started homeschooling right out the gate because a couple of things. Debbie was always she was she was trained as a public school teacher, and when we got married, she was actually a uh, teacher at a community college. But during our engagement, she told me that she was interested in homeschooling our kids, which. I had uh, spent a lot, a lot of years uh, working in kind of all-male environments, both in the Navy and then um, in the freight business. And so I didn't really know people with kids, and I didn't know kids, and I'd never really heard of homeschooling, but I could figure it out kind of from, from the context. And uh, the more we talked about it, uh, the more the concept kind of grew on me. And then we had a kid, and then it became you know, more of a pressing question. And so I'm the kind of person that, before I do almost anything, I figure there's got to be some books about it. And so <laughs> I found some <laughs> I found some few. books about it. Yeah. Well, back then, there weren't that many.
0: You're right. That's actually. true. Fair statement.
1: But I did find some, and I read about it, and kind of concluded that, okay, just from a, a, a purely uh, instrumental viewpoint, it looks like this could work, and then from the spiritual standpoint of raising kids into uh, you know, an abiding faith in our Lord, it, it just seemed like a way better option than them the public school. So uh, that's how we decided. When our oldest child was about four, mm-hmm. Debbie found this program that I don't know if it's still around, but it was called The Writing Road to Reading. Oh, yes. And so I took a couple of days off from work, and we lived in the Willamette Valley in Oregon at the time, and I took a couple of days off and went up to Portland and attended the Writing Road to Reading seminar with Debbie and the two of us. I mean, she was already, you know, 110% sold. <laughs> but by, by the time I left, I was, I was pretty hooked on it. And so that's, that was kind of our beginnings.
0: Now, I love the way you named your homeschool, Mason Academy Homeschool.
1: <laughs> ours was <We're> pretty, <laughs> very creative,
0: very creative. Ours was Albers Academy. So, you know, it's kind of like, hey, there's something, of, there's some meaning to the name. And I, I love that when I read that in your bio. Now, you're, t- how old is your oldest grandbaby?
1: She's seven.
0: Wow. Well, you have me beat there. We only have two. <laughs> we only have two. We have two grandbabies, a year and a half and uh, let's see, 11 months. They're, they're six months apart. And- I tell you what, they're absolutely so fun, and to me, I don't know about you, but to me, it is uh, the grandparenting thing is everything they say it it is. You get the fun, you get the hugs, the smiles, the the time with them. Uh, but then you know you are able to return them <laughs> and get a good night's sleep. So I love that. Now you also love bird watching. And you mentioned you wanted to read something about homeschooling before you jumped in to it. So you're a collector of books. What kind of books do you like to read in general?
1: So I read, I like a lot of mysteries. I kind of rotate between classic literature and a brain candy mysteries right now. Mm-hmm. I'm also trying to work my way through some of the spiritual classics, but I, I, I kind of get bogged down in them, honestly. <laughs>
0: Mm. Have you read The um, Watchmaker's Daughter? No. That's the that's a story about Corey Ten Boom. Now, most people are familiar with The Hiding Place, but the author of this is very, very skilled at writing and li- writes a lot of World War II espionage thrillers, and they're basically on spies. And so he's written several books, but when he told me he was working on The Watchmaker's Daughter, I wanted to read it because I've read The Hiding Place, and that is only like 10% of the whole story. And so you may find that book interesting. I've had uh, the author on the program a couple of times to, to talk about some of his books and the works that he does, but you may enjoy that book. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that. But, you know, it doesn't surprise me as a lawyer, you wanted to read a little bit about it. By the way, let me just say, thank you for your service. I didn't realize that you were in the Navy. What made you go into law? After you finish your service in the military,
1: there is a uh, there is a story there, <laughs> and it may be longer than you want to hear okay,
0: um, do, do your su- do an executive summary.
1: <laughs> yeah, the executive summary is my friend in high school and I had decided that we would um, graduate early from high school, jam our way through undergraduate as fast as we could, go to law school, and then open up a law practice. And then I got a scholarship to uh, maybe ROTC, which kind of threw those plans out the window.
2: Hmm.
1: I then went, uh, went away and uh, went to completely different school than we talked about and then spent four years on active duty. And by the time I was kind of at the end of my active duty time, I had uh, kind of wandered away from the Lord and dreams of law school had pretty much evaporated. I didn't really think about it too much anymore. The Lord got a hold of me and turned me back around after a while. That led me into my relationship with Debbie. Um, we had decided that we wanted to kind of lead a quiet life, working with our own hands and not didn't want to move around a lot. And we were very content in our community where she had been teaching. Mm. I, I, at the time, eventually became a parole and probation officer there, in the sheriff's department, and. We put down some pretty good groups and thought that's where we would stay. And then I got recalled to active duty for Operation Desert Storm. Wow. Got a free all-expenses-paid trip to several Middle Eastern countries.
2: It's <laughs> <That's> one way <laughs> to look at actually,
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a, a great adventure. There was a time after uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost immediately they told us that my unit was going to be activated and sent over because of our specialty. Um, and then they they were able to fill the roles with volunteers
2: but,
1: mm. uh, from all over the country, uh, but eventually they did recall my unit. And If I had not been married with kids, I would have volunteered probably just because of the opportunity to serve, but also the adventure of it. Mm. Um, but I didn't. Um, I didn't volunteer. But then the Navy told me I had to go, and so I <laughs> I still had had my adventure, and uh, it was it was kind of an eye opener for me. Came back. And felt like the Lord was really saying to me that it's time for you to kind of lift up your eyes, look over the horizon, try right? to do something um, more than just lead a quiet life in your little town. We had started homeschooling then. We were reading about this little law firm in Peonian Springs, uh, Virginia, that was fighting all these fights all over the country on behalf of homeschoolers and homeschool freedom. Mm. Um, I actually wrote Mike Ferris a letter and said, hey, Mike looks like I'm going to be going to law school next fall and I'll be, you know, in three years, I'll be prepared to come and help you with (laughs) this fight, homeschool freedom. He sent me a letter back and said, you know, you might want to think twice about that because we just don't have that much work for that many lawyers and there's a lot of lawyers in the country already. I did it anyway and uh, after I graduated and got about five years of experience and there was an opening here at HSLDA and a friend of mine heard about it and told Mike Ferris about me I end up coming to work
0: here. Now, for those of you that are new to the program, maybe you, you do not homeschool. Once upon a time, uh, homeschoolers were a, kind of a fringe group. They were just very s- a small group, and as it grew, then it became, oh, I, I know somebody who does that. So it's an incredible phenomenon that has happened. Jim, you recently became president. You did a a wonderful interview, and friends, if you want to see that, learn more about what they do or how it started or how the movement started, I'll have the link to that YouTube video, that interview that Jim did with Mike and Mike in the show notes, so make sure you go over to ConnieHoppers.com and check that out there. You'll really enjoy that interview. And you know, it's interesting, Jim, because when you mentioned uh, reaching out to Mike Ferris, I like that you, you kind of came in, and I think it was 2001. Is that when you came in to, is that when right. you joined? Yeah, 2001. Yeah. You have been around a long time. I think our children are probably about the same age as you've seen the growth. You've seen the changes, the struggles, the battles that have had to be fought. It's all a buzz right now, the explosive growth in homeschooling, like 50% increase. And the pandemic forced people into this thing called pandemic schooling, because it really wasn't homeschooling. But it did expose people to three things. And I worked for a congressman back in 2009, 2010. I had called him in uh, 2020 when this was all happening for an interview. And he said three things. And I would love to know what you think about them and what you could add to it. But he said three things in a positive way that happened as a result of that. And that was parents started to learn what their kids were learning in school. Two, he said, parents are spending more time with their kids. They're playing board games or going for bike rides or going outdoors, anything to get out of the house, depending on what state you lived in. And they started to realize that the suburban life, living outside on the outskirts of a city, a big city, is actually pretty desirable. Would you agree with those three assessments?
1: Uh, certainly the first two. I haven't really thought about the third one. I think they're, you know, so that the learning what was going on in school component, you know, I've heard an awful lot about that and read about it. And I think that's going to be with us for a while as parents have. So two things happened, right? They, they got to see through the Zoom window, get some insight into what was happening but then they also had their kids at home when they they probably would never have taken that step. Mm-hmm. There are people who may have been on the cusp of deciding to homeschool and this was easy for them. You know, they just, they kind of went right into it because they had to. There were people who might've been interested in homeschooling, but weren't anywhere as close to making the, the decision. It helped them too. Then there are people who thought they would never homeschool who, um, both got that view through the Zoom window, but then also the second part uh, applies to all of them. They learned that it was really fun to be around their kids. Yes. there's a guy, a friend of mine, who's a psychologist, a professor of psychology, I think he's retired now, Mm -hmm. and he writes a blog for Psychology Today. His name is Dr. Peter Gray. He had a long career at Boston University. He was blogging throughout the, the pandemic, And that's one of the things that he, you know, really emphasized that, especially there are parents, you know, who have their kids kind of programmed from morning till bedtime with barely a minute to take Mm -hmm. a breath. Mm -hmm. And because the pandemic shut everything down and the kids and the parents were all home together, they learned that they liked each other and they learned that spending time together over things that were not formal but just going for a walk and looking at birds and reading books that you might not have gotten to and reading out loud, and all of those things really changed uh, the, the perspective of a lot of parents. The suburban life I've not, not heard of other than just being home,
2: and being yeah. able
1: to enjoy um, your neighborhood and your neighbors. And, you know, the pandemic had a lot of bad things about it, but these, these things are, I think are going to be enduring. One of the, uh, interesting things that a fellow that I talked to made an observation that I hadn't heard before. And that was that parents who didn't have school age kids yet, that is parents of younger children, Mm -hmm. um, saw all of this happening at the same time. And they formed a belief that um, they would never put their kids in school for all of these reasons. And then just a week ago or so, a recent survey said that Gen Z generation, are more likely to consider homeschooling than any generation that came before them. That's an intriguing prospect to think that young parents, uh, because of the experience of the pandemic, are more interested from the get-go in in considering homeschooling.
0: wow, that I hadn't heard that. That makes sense, though. They're living out a history that we didn't have to live out. Well, let me ask you then, because HSLDA is in the fray, you're you're keeping track of attorneys that, that monitor. You know, just what's going on in in states. Now that you are the president of HSL Day, you've been in this role for a little over a year now. What do you see as some of the future threats? I I can think of one. uh, You wrote an article and you may want to address that. But what do you see as an organization, some of your top things that you're going to be really keeping an eye on?
1: Well, as the article that you refer to, you know, if you recount the the history of homeschooling, and you mentioned this earlier. 40 years ago when HSLDA was created, and then a few years before that, homeschooling was really kind of a very tiny, and it was viewed by, by some as a fringe movement. It was both sides of the fringe. There were, there were kind of left-leaning hippies who didn't like the, the educational establishment, and then there were um, evangelical Christians who, who didn't want to send their kids to the public schools for religious reasons. And it was kind of uh, you know hit or miss whether you would be allowed to homeschool all over the country. There were kind of three kind of states, those where it was actually illegal to homeschool, those where it was incorrectly believed to be illegal but treated as illegal, and then every place else it was dis- disfavored by the establishment. Mm-hmm. And over time, folks got together, formed associations, HSLDA was created, state organizations were created, people got involved politically in, in their state houses, Cases were won, uh, statutes were changed, and homeschooling became a legitimate social movement with a goal of rolling back the boundaries of regulation so that people would have more and more freedom to choose to homeschool. Over time, homeschooling became so well-established, and then with the explosive growth during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, homeschooling today, it's not a fringe, it's not really a movement, it's really just an established method of educating children that almost anybody, if they're inclined to put in the time and effort, could, could pursue. Yeah, I'm Sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, back in the beginning, you were having to create everything because there wasn't uh, much available, and now there's a plethora of, of resources available, and so you have one extreme or the other. One, you didn't know what to do, and now you don't know what to pick. And so right. um, it's, still, it's still kind of a, a challenge for parents, but please continue.
1: So the challenge today is not so much the same as it was you know, where people were getting prosecuted for the simple act of homeschooling without a teaching license. And that was kind of the universal thing around the country that the education establishment didn't believe that parents were qualified to teach unless they'd been through four years of ed school and had a state license. That's not the case anymore. Um, experience has proven that, that your average uh, family, homeschool moms and dads, can do an excellent job of preparing their children for their adult lives through homeschooling. But um, today, there is a different kind of scrutiny being uh, placed on homeschooling. You know, having expanded the boundaries of freedom to kind of as far as they can get in many places, there's a few holdout states. For the most part, it's pretty easy to homeschool from a legal perspective anywhere in the country. But there's still sort of some um, elite media types who are profiling homeschooling pretty regularly in ways that, you know, they say on the one hand, well, good for you guys. We're glad that you did this work to make homeschooling free, but it's too free. And so we need to reimpose uh, regulations that you guys have fought all these years to roll back. That's an increasing and accelerating trend since the pandemic has concluded. And we're watching all 50 states very carefully to make sure that you know there's still a there's still a sort of prejudice of, about homeschooling. Um, it's still a fairly tiny segment of the population, even though you know, as you mentioned earlier, everybody knows somebody who homeschooled, and most people know somebody who homeschooled and they have a favorable impression of it. Mm-hmm. But there's still a bit of a prejudice that that there are these, you know, wacky people out there homeschooling, and we need to make sure that they are appropriately regulated for the sake of their children, which you know, regulation doesn't really help anyone. Right. It, uh, so that's, that's a big thing that we're watching right now. I and mean, something that people don't think about often, and I think about often, is mm-hmm. in the old days, there were fewer people homeschooling, but the pressures on homeschooling were more dramatic and more severe. And so there were lots of big cases from a small population. Today, you uh, have a huge population of people homeschooling compared to the past. Mm-hmm. And you still have, so now you have a whole, um, you know, a, a larger number of parents who still have regular interactions with the education bureaucracy. And those can be quite unpleasant and uncomfortable, you know, not in a statewide way, not in a, you know, you don't get prosecuted for the simple act of homeschooling, but, you know, there's like 13,500 school districts in America. And, not every school superintendent and every school principal is still favorable to homeschooling. There is still an awful lot, a, a tremendous amount of friction uh, between especially parents who've had their kids in public schools and now want to withdraw. That's a, a symptom of the pandemic as well because you know, the school districts are hurting because so many people left and didn't come back. But now when people are, the uh, parents are today, considering leaving home uh, public school to homeschool, they receive a little bit more uh, scrutiny than than in the past. And we help, you know, that's a big thing that we do is help parents navigate that transition from public school into homeschooling.
0: Well, it's good that you're doing that. A lot of what I've seen happen, and I know there was lots of conversation at the conference, the Leaders Conference on the education savings accounts. I mean, many years ago, that was still a question that was still a, it doesn't make sense. Why are our tax dollars going to the support the school system that we're not in? Why can't, why can't the tax dollars, our tax dollars go to uh, for us so we can buy a curriculum? And, you know, one of the things I always said, and I'd love to have your response to that is any time the government gets involved, there's always going to be strings, but it's never blatant and right up front. It's usually get you in, get you, oh no, this will just help offset the cost. And to be honest with you, Jim, right now, uh, more and more families are enticed by that because gas is expensive, insurance is expensive, interest rates are rising, food is astronomical. And they're thinking, man, just a little bit of help, just a little bit of help. And so it's a perfect time for the education savings accounts to come in. But what is your biggest concern with those?
1: Well, there's sort of a practical and then a principled objection that we have. I, I've written about this. There is an article uh, that I, I wrote right before the pandemic called The Civic Virtue of Private Homes, Home Education. And it's kind of my, my attempt to make a principled argument for why uh, private homeschooling without state funding is a better choice for uh, families and for the for the sake of homeschooling movement in the country as well. And that is, you know, you mentioned the practical aspects. Anytime state money's involved, eventually there's going to be some kind of auditing, accounting, strings attached, additional regulation. And, you know, there's the old adage of freedom and and funding don't always go together all that well. So if you want freedom, you know, you're better off not taking the funds because of the friction that's going to come. But from a principled perspective, you know, the country long ago kind of went astray by adopting mandatory public education and what homeschooling did over the last 40 or 50 years is created an island of complete liberty where parents are in charge of education and not the state. And what state funding does is alters that equation um, because eventually the state the dollars is going to want control.
0: Yes, and they'll mandate. You know, the beauty of being able to homeschool for those of you that don't homeschool is you select the curriculum, you establish the pace, you establish where your child is in, in the learning spectrum, how much, what is their competency level? Are they working at a level that is commensurate with their ability? And you're able to impart your family values, your faith, what you believe is what the Lord wants you to do if you want to have Bible studies or devotions, if you want to take days off, weeks off, and you want to do school outside, inside, you you have complete freedom to do that. And like you were saying, Jim, the minute that starts to get regulated, things will start to dramatically change, much like we see happening in the public school. Homeschooling is not public school at home. Homeschooling is education. It's It's developing a lifelong learner. It's it's creating within our children a desire to learn and to grow and to acknowledge their creator and and have a faith in something beyond themselves and so that's the beauty of being able to have the autonomy of homeschooling your kids in a manner that is fit for your family and so and we haven't touched much on that because we were talking about the nuts and bolts of it but a big part of homeschooling is being able as you said earlier on that second point you know learning that Hey, I actually like spending time with you. The crazy pace we were going before, um, it's kind of nice being able to create our own schedule and sign up for what we want to sign up for. Go go to field trips that our family's interested or make family vacations. So I want to be careful with your time here. As we kind of wrap up, you had made a comment about what was so important. Maybe it was Mike Ferris that said it and you reiterated it. And that is What are the most important criteria for when you bring somebody on staff from a mission standpoint, like your mission statement as an organization?
1: First and foremost, HSLDA is a ministry that's motivated by our calling to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that home education is a calling, and it's a calling for us, each one of us, to um, help families pursue that. Which is not to say that you have to be a Christian to join our organization or to benefit from homeschooling, but our bedrock motivation is from our Christian calling. We have a pretty broad statement of faith that allows for many Christians to join us on staff, but that's first and foremost. Our mission is to carry out the Lord's calling on our vocation here. And then second, in critical positions, we We'd like to have people who have a strong homeschooling connection. So all of our lawyers, for example, either homeschooled their kids or were themselves homeschooled. And some of our lawyers were both homeschooled and are now homeschooling their own children. So
0: that's um, really cool.
1: Yeah, it is really cool. (laughs) I really appreciate and value that because and we want that in our key staff, of course, because we're not just helping homeschoolers we are homeschoolers right down to the bone yeah uh, and that helps us to understand and it helps us to stay motivated and it helps us to have empathy it helps us to have passion those are the those are the top two things
0: yes i really wanted to make sure we closed with that i thought that was very pointed it is absolutely what you and the organization have stood for and whom i know for over 30 years now well i am um, honored that you were here I have to just say it was funny my daughter who has our 11th month old she's already you know thinking about school and stuff and <laughs> she said I've got it figured out mom we're gonna keep him home and you can homeschool him <laughs> and I just started laughing she was because you've already done it and I just think that would be great and that way you can stay really involved in his life and I started laughing I said here's the deal I'm going to be the grandparent that gets to go on the field trips, and you could do the, you know, the math problems, you know, all the odd number math problems, or whatever it is that you're working on sentence diagramming. And I think I'll just take the other role. And she just had to laugh. But it's the beauty of relationships, and so it was important for me to have you on. One, I wanted all the listeners of Equip to be to to kind of get to know you and what you're doing, what the vision is for the HSLDA going forward. What are some of the things that are plaguing our country as far as homeschooling, if there's threats and challenges, and friends, I will have in the show notes a link to HSLDA, and you can go check it out. They've got a lot of resources. They've got phenomenal resources, and they're accurate. They're up to date. Get in touch with them. I would encourage you, if you're, home, if you're thinking about homeschooling or if you homeschool, you need to become a member. I'm not making anything off this. I'm genuinely telling you that it is an organization you want to consider investing some money in because they are on the fight. You don't have time to fight all the battles and to keep up with everything. So you just it's like anything. You want to know that there are people out there that are advocating for your choice and for your desire to homeschool your kids. So I'll have those all in the show notes as well. Jim, thank you for taking time to be on the Equip to Be podcast. It was a blessing to have you and I'm so grateful you could be on the show.
1: Well, it's really been my pleasure and uh, thank you for the uh, kind words. And I, I look forward to uh, all the work that you're doing as well, um, especially that grandma work, which I'm learning how to be a grandpa and that's that's about the best job I've had yet.
0: Oh, I'm I, it's really cool <laughs> when they light up. Okay, sir. Well, you have a great day. Friends, thank you for tuning in to Equipped to Be. Make sure you go over to ConnieOppers.com. I'll have all the show notes and the links for everything that we've talked about on this show. and. Make sure that you subscribe, tell your friends, share this episode with some friends. They may be in need and they really may be blessed by this. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Well, that wraps up this episode of Equipped to Be. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend or family member and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.